Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and this week's episode features Stephanie Zhou, the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Figma, where we discuss strategic product launches. Stephanie has such a refreshing take on how to manage product launches, and it's not about overthinking your frameworks and your approach. As you may know, launch day is just day one of a successful product launch. In this episode, you'll learn from Stephanie how to anchor your product launches around user experience, how to empower your team to consider the launch stages before and after that moment, and also how to evaluate the success of a launch. This podcast is now available everywhere podcasts can be listened to and online at sharebird.com. Please subscribe, share with someone you think will love it, and also give us a rating or a review while you're at it. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. And this podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. If you have feedback for us on any of our episodes, please send me a note on LinkedIn or email podcasts at sharebird.com. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash Mary. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe. And today I'm so excited to interview my friend, Stephanie Zhou, who is currently the director of PMM at Figma. Figma helps teams to create, test, and ship better designs from start to finish. She was previously the head of product marketing at Intercom and at Zendesk, and basically has worked at some of the best PMM tech companies out there, in my opinion. Stephanie, I'm so happy to be reunited with you. Welcome. Thanks, Mary. It's so great to chat with you again. Remember when we used to be able to get drinks and have lunch in the before times? That was so great. I know. Hopefully in 2021, we can do that again. Yes, you're going to be one of the first people that I call. And I'm so excited to talk to you today because we actually met through through Sharebird, through a panel that we did together a few years ago with Krithika, actually. And I feel like the three of us have kept in contact and continued on our PMM journey. So it's really fun to have this come full circle and be able to chat with you again today. Let's just jump into some questions. So my favorite question, and since we haven't talked in a bit, I'd love to learn from you. What have you learned lately in during this quarantine time? <laughs> and quarantine has been hard, hasn't it? It has been challenging for all of us and has pushed us in different ways. I guess some things I've learned is how to work remotely in better ways. I think when I initially started, I just moved all of my in-person meetings online or onto Zoom. And that's probably not the most efficient use of time. And so figuring out like, how do you reprioritize and how do you make connections? How do you stay connected and still build relationships with people across teams, even if you are apart? And so that's definitely, I'm sure everyone is 
dealing with that. And I think managing remotely is also another interesting learning and development of I think oftentimes when you're in the office or you get to at least see people every once in a while, I feel like I, I read people in the sense of, hey, if they're having a good day or if they're not having a good day and how do you get a sense of that when you get, I don't know, you, you have your Zoom one-on-ones that, that are like no more than an hour long. So so how do you create space for that in a little window on your computer? <laughs> I feel like I've gotten weirdly good at sensing people's emotions over video chat (laughs) for better or for worse, but (laughs) we're all building those skills, new skills for sure. So let's talk about Figma. So you moved there a little bit over a year ago. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing there, what it's like to work at a a startup at this stage. Tell us more about the, the role of product marketing at Figma. Yeah. So I joined about a year and a half ago. I went from leading a team of 10 PMMs to being the only PMM at a much smaller organization, but it's been so fun. I think, I think the, the product is amazing. The users are amazing because they're all these really creative designers and product builders. And so right now I'm overseeing product marketing, customer marketing, which is a part of that as well as brand. So it's been really fun to be at the intersection of all those areas and just figure out how to tell the Figma story at different altitudes. So like what's our product story, but then what is, how does that manifest at the brand level and how does that manifest in our community? And I love the connection between customer marketing and product marketing. How do you find those intersecting as you're working as the the leader of those teams? Yeah, I think so much of product marketing and customer marketing are very adjacent because you can't do good product marketing without good customer marketing and vice versa, because it's not just about launching features and those capabilities. And you can, sure, you can market those benefits and test all that messaging. But if you don't have good customer examples and good anecdotes and best practices from real users, I think it's going to fall flat. And, And especially with our, this, our specific um, user base, which are designers and product builders, and they're super good at, you know, identifying like BS and marketing, and they're going to call, call you out if you have like vaporware. And so without showing like proof points and how other users use the product, they're not going to necessarily believe it. That's so smart to have them together like that. And yeah, as a product marketer, the number one thing that we're always asked when we go to market with anything is, what are the proof points? Who is using it? If you're doing any kind of press, can you have a customer logo? Can a customer actually speak on your behalf? So that makes total sense to me. I'm glad you're able to see the synergies. And you've had this amazing career so far. And I'm always super interested to talk to the women on this podcast about how you think it might have been different or maybe harder for you as a woman in a predominantly male field? Is there anything that you can share with our listeners about your experience and how you might've overcome things that have been different for you? Yeah. In our field, I think there's certain behaviors that are rewarded. So it's being outspoken and being very opinionated and bullish. And quite honestly, that's, I'm innately not any of those things. I think I was a really shy kid. 
I grew up in a Chinese immigrant family, which means that, you know, humility and being quiet and not rocking the boat were the values that were very much ingrained in me. And so I definitely felt like that was definitely something I had to overcome or just figure out how to speak up and how to share a, a contrary opinion. And I think one of the challenges I've definitely experienced is that like, the women that I saw that were successful, especially when I was younger in my career, that broke through the, that glass ceiling were definitely more on the aggressive side. And I always felt like, okay, I guess I got to be like that. But then I, as I got older and grew in my career, recognized like, what if you can use your own qualities and while those might be different than maybe the norm, how can you use that to your advantage? And how do you use that to be a different kind of leader or a different kind of manager? Because I think, yeah, because it's not, you know, one size fits all. So I totally agree. Yeah. It's finding your style, I think is really important and it doesn't necessarily have to be copy the really aggressive people around you that have been successful in different ways, but really finding what's true and authentic to you. And it's clearly worked out for you. You've been very successful so far. So really glad to hear that is something that's worked for you. So thank you for that. And I want to talk about one of our favorite things and your superpower or one of your many superpowers with product marketing product launches. So how do you think about a product launch? Let's get into it. Yeah. I like to think of product launches, not just as moments in time where you've launched something out to the world, but how do you take a product or a new feature to market? And there's so many things that happen before and so many things that happen after. And so I think even before you even do launch planning or the tactics and all of that, I think there's some questions that I typically like to ask. And I think one of the ways that I think is an interesting way to think about launches is how does that end-to-end user experience look like after the introduction of this new product or this new feature? And perhaps even mapping that out or diagramming it out in some sort of flow and seeing like, where does that change? And if that changes with these new product investments, because I think it, it helps you think about the launch in a different way where it's not just, okay, how do you make a lot of noise? How do you uh, spam all your channels? But re- versus, okay, what, where are your users in their journey? Where are they? How do you reach them in the most effective way? How are they going to discover something? How are they going to learn? Like, where are they going to get stuck? And I think planning your launches around that and anchoring it around that user experience, I feel like it makes for a better launch plan. And you also perhaps uncover some new opportunities or new channels that maybe you didn't think about before. And sometimes the most impactful things aren't like very splashy billboards or whatnot. Like it can just be like, oh, wait, I know this type of customer is really going to have a hard change management in this particular area. And so how do we create guides and office hour live streams to help alleviate that change or that that new product introduction? I really like that. That's so clever. So you're not really thinking about, okay, here are the success metrics and I have to get this email open rate and this many website clicks and all that and adoption and what have you. It's really about what is the change in the life of the user that this 
product launch is going to enable. And, and I'm imagining as you're talking this vision map that you might do a, a mood board or something like that, where you're mapping out all the different places that it could touch them and how you really inspire them to take that change with the feature or product that you're coming to market with. That yeah. is really cool. <laughs> definitely not saying that metrics don't matter. <laughs> they definitely do. And that's hopefully at the end of that end-to-end experience. But I do think it, it helps you think about things in a different way. So, yeah. And you have this really interesting way of thinking about product launches in terms of the before and after moment. Can you talk a little bit about some of the nuts and bolts between that? How do you get to the before stage and the after stage? And it's not just that moment in time. It's really everything that goes into it. Totally. Obviously, like in planning a launch, you do have to kick off with the broader team. And I'm a big fan of doing really cross-functional kickoff. So everyone feels like they are part of this launch. So it's not just the PMM being like, Hey, here's the, my launch plan. It's not my launch plan. It's really like our launch plan and our strategy. And I think um, the more you can build a plan with, with different cross-functional folks is like the most important thing. So, and then, and then obviously developing all those tactics is not just about getting to that end result, but it's like, how do you do it in a way that empowers different teams to bring the, their expertise to the table? And I think one of the, the things that I believe in the most is actually doing a bit of internal marketing before a launch and just I think if you don't get people internally excited about a new product investment, it's going to be hard to get your users excited about it too. And I think it all starts from within. I think there's like simple things you can do from starting a, a Slack channel to you know communicate org-wide about um, a new a launch that's coming up and just keeping that channel updated with small updates and news. Or maybe it's like joining your company's town hall and just giving a quick little spiel about what's happening and thanking everyone that's involved. Sometimes we go as far as celebrating, like in some capacities, obviously we used to do all that in person, but I think now, I think we're we're trying to find new ways of how do we celebrate all the team's work leading up to it. And then obviously like enablement, I think it's obviously important to enable sales and support, but I really think it's enabling anyone that is touching customers and touching users. I feel like employees are oftentimes the best marketing channels for our company and our product. And every employee now has a voice, right? They can tweet about your news or they can uh, post about it on LinkedIn. And I think if all of them can be on message, that would be like a great outcome too for a launch. That's great. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of themes of empowerment and enabling this army of people that already is really passionate about the company and having them speak for you to amplify everything you're doing. So spending that time to get the people excited. In my past jobs, I have given little presents or swag, or one time I did slap bracelets (laughs) that had the name of the feature on it because I just thought it was so random and funny and everybody really liked it. And it just had them remember the messaging that we were trying to go off with this new release. And So I totally agree. And even it doesn't have to just be the salespeople. It can also be the engineers. They're really vocal in their different social channels and with their networks too. And 
everyone in the company top down can have a major impact on this. So I love that you spend a lot of time on that in the before the launch moment. What about the after launch moment? What are some things that you do there? Yeah. Launch day is really day one. Even if you've spent days or months planning and working towards it and you're like, oh, okay, I'm done now because we just launched it. But it really is the first day of that new feature and that product. And how do you continue to drive, make sure that's successful and make sure people are using it. I think obviously being metrics driven is important. And so how do you actively drive the right metrics, whether it's signups or adoption of a new product or a new feature? I am a big fan of even if it's a guesstimate of writing down an actual like target goal, whether it's like, I would like to see 30% of our users adopting this new feature within 30 days, or I would hope that we achieve a thousand signups, I don't know, for this new product line by end of quarter. And I think sometimes you do have underlining assumptions that you can inform those target goals. But even if you don't, I think you can use your best hypotheses and come up with something that you can work towards. And I think that is, is a really interesting, like in a good learning experience, as well as like, how do you always think about your launch beyond just the moment, the announcement day? A great point. Yeah. And I think with the metrics piece, I see a lot of PMMs kind of being intimidated to even put a goal out there because what if it's wrong? I don't have any historical data if this is a brand new thing, but you got to start somewhere and it at least helps you calibrate after that moment, that, that day one of the launch, you can recalibrate to help hit those goals. And if you're 30 days in and, and realize, okay, that was, that was shooting for the stars. <laughs> Let's think about this differently. You can always kind of recalibrate that goal exactly. and work there, but you have to start somewhere. So I'm, I'm glad you're recommending that. And you can always caveat it. Be like, you know what? This is our first time doing this. We actually don't have a, like a similar product line to like baseline this to, but let's just set a, a best guess target. And Absolutely. Anything else you would add about the after launch, the after party moment? The after party, definitely a big fan of doing a cross-functional retrospective. I think oftentimes it's really easy just to run to the next launch or next project that you got to get off your plate, or maybe the launch didn't go so well. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to reflect on it. And especially get feedback from folks. But I actually think for those types of launches, you probably want to do a retrospective even more. And more often than not, those retros are way more reflective and actually more positive than constructive and negative. And and I like to include cross-functional partners too, because it's not just like a PMM or a product thing. It really is like a whole team effort. And so I like to actually send out the retrospective file beforehand. So people have time to actually reflect and actually input some notes before the actual meeting. And then during the meeting, you can really just like actually discuss the key points or the common denominators or some of the open questions or areas of improvement. And then that just makes it a much more effective and forward-looking exercise versus, oh, I'm going to talk about all the bad things that went wrong. Totally. And I think even the way that you describe that as a retrospective versus a post-mortem, which I've also heard it called, it it has more of a positive spin. It sounds cool. (laughs) We're going to do this retro And I love the part about bringing everybody on board because it's really to learn and Mm -hmm. to understand what you could do better. And as the launch 
and the product is still out there in the world, how can you, you know, pivot or potentially recalibrate or make it even better? Now we'll pause for a quick word from our partners at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement. For any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales teams will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. So now that we're talking about product launches, Another topic I wanted to bring up with you is tiering. And I know you have a little bit of a different perspective on it than Krithika and myself, who talked about this in our first episode. What are your thoughts on tiering product launches? I think a tiering framework for launches is definitely really useful if you're like just getting started as a way of, okay, how do I prioritize all of these things? But quite frankly, I'm a bit tired of it. I'm tired of the framework. I'm also just not a big framework person. (laughs) Um, Death by framework. But I do, I think after doing hundreds of launches, I often feel like launch plans fall into two camps, right? It's, there's the camp of, okay, this is like a really important strategic launch. And we should really think about how we're going to bring this to market. How do we get existing users adopt it? How do we like get new users using our tool? And so I think it's more of like a custom plan. And most often than not, you already know your marketing channels and your typical marketing tactics. But if you think about it from a perspective of, of the user of like how they would actually experience the new feature and new capabilities and actually build your launch plan around that, I think you're most likely going to hit the typical tactics that you're probably going to do anyways, but you'll probably uncover some new creative ways that you can market to them. And then the, probably the other bucket is like the smaller ones that, okay, like we just got to get these out the door. We're going to make sure our customers know about this. And how do we make this efficient for the PMM team? Just so you can actually focus on more strategic things, right? Just to be totally frank there. And, and so for those, I think about, okay, like what is, are there bundling opportunities? Is there a way to bundle a bunch of small things to kill you know, two or three birds with one stone and just make sure like the most important things are communicated to the users? And so while I've been guilty of the tiering framework of creating many of those in my career, and I think they're useful and they're probably really useful for especially communicating to stakeholders about why a certain feature is not getting a P1 versus a P3. But I do think at the end of the day, I think about it, it's okay. Like how I see it as really falling into two buckets. So you heard it here. Stephanie Zoe says, tears are dead. <laughs> Nail in the coffin. No, I, I do think that is a really great way to simplify it. And I, I do think I have personally spent a lot of time structuring the tiers. And I think it does make sense for a certain time and place. If you have a lot of launches, if my last company, I had a hundred launches a year, you had to do something to let people know. But if it's really just a matter of, Hey, we have about 10 things coming out this quarter. 
Big and small is great and bundling cannot be overemphasized enough. What's a similar theme that can make this product launch seem even bigger and more impactful on this change journey for your, your customers. So that's refreshing. <laughs> I appreciate that. So switching gears, I wanted to talk about how you would recommend to up and coming product marketers, either those that are new in their career or those that are thinking about the role, how should they know which type of company to work for? Meaning which type of product marketing role to go for? I think we don't talk about this enough, but product marketing can be so different depending on the company that you're at. And I know you've had experience at a lot of companies, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's good to think about first and foremost, the type of company that you're about to enter. Are they a product-led organization? Are they more of a marketing or sales-led organization? Because I think the PMM role is going to change drastically depending on where the center of gravity is at the company. And so if you are a more product-centric PMM, which I am, I tend to go for companies that have a really strong like product and engineering foundation. But I think there are lots of PMMs out there who love like working closely with sales and doing a lot of campaigns and all of that more go-to-market heavy stuff. Like that's definitely one consideration. I think... Another lens is to look at the stage of company. I think everyone, we spike in different ways. Some people are really great at building things from scratch. Other people are really great at scaling and others are really good at like optimizing and like pushing things to a, like the next level. And I think depending on you know, who you are and where your strengths are, the size or stage of company is probably another factor. So like for me, I like, I like the 100 to 1000 employee phase, right? Cause it's, it's not too small where there is some foundation and there is most likely a product that exists, but then you have, HR. <laughs> yeah, you, have, you have at least one HR person. <laughs> and then, and then beyond a thousand, I just feel like it's just, it, it does slow down. It's perhaps more optimizing and that's less fun for me personally. And how, besides looking at the stage of the company, you know, the series B, CG, and how many employees are there, do you have any specific recommendations for how to uncover what type of company that you're interviewing at, would you just ask people during the interview process or would you poke around and how would you approach that? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I always ask myself, like, do I like this product? Am I excited to use it? And even if I'm not the user for it, perhaps I need to love learning about it. I need to love digging in and marketing it eventually and sharing best practices. And then another thing I always ask myself is, do I enjoy talking to the users of the product? Because so much of our job is understanding our users, to, um, to helping sales sell to them and speaking their language. And if you don't actually like those types of users for, for some reason, I'm not sure what, you're not going to necessarily enjoy perhaps the PMM role. Another thing I personally look for is whether or not the, like, what are the different go-to-market motions at that company? So I love 
companies that have both a self-service motion as well as a sales motion. I think if they have a self-service funnel, they're, they're most likely a bit more, you know, product led. Someone can easily sign on from their website and go through some onboarding and get into the product right away. And I feel like that gives, especially me as a PMM, like access to a lot of users and a lot of data where you could really do research and experiment at a certain scale that you might not get if there wasn't a self-service funnel. But at the same time, I also like the blend of sales because on on the sales side, you really get to have those one-on-one conversations with the top customers and the top accounts. And it's just always so great to be able to like quickly gut check um, things with them and get feedback and just keep your ears to the ground. So those are just a few things. That's so helpful. And I think it's so fun to have a mix of the self-service and the sales, as you mentioned, just to put on those different hats and get to do that classic product marketing Venn diagram where you're in the middle of marketing sales and product that really comes to fruition when you have that, those two sides of it too. And one other thing we had talked about that I think is interesting is not just looking at who your manager would be at that company, but also the whole leadership team, or maybe just the CEO or founder. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Especially at a smaller company, I feel like one of your biggest stakeholders is going to be the CEO. They're going to read the blog post that goes out, like how the launch is going to go and how does that unfold. And I think, I think I always ask myself, do I like working with that CEO, not just my manager, because they're going to be someone I'm going to work with all the time. And so I need to be able to develop a rapport and a relationship with that person. And so I think it might be a funny question to ask yourself, but I do think it's an important one. I totally agree. And I think once you get to the head of product marketing role and you're interviewing at a company, hundred to a thousand people, it's not out of this world to ask to interview with the CEO or with the founder, because you will be working with them and they might come to you one day and ask to rebrand the company. And you have to know if you want to work with them on that journey, or if you can talk them off the ledge, if it's not a good idea, you want to know who you're dealing with. Exactly. Um, Great. Thank you so much for your insights. I think that was all so helpful to understand how to think about the world of product marketing and what company you might be a best fit at. And both you and I have tended to jump around and we have a lot of experience in different areas. So I think it's fun to have the non-framework view of the company size, whether or not it's product sales, marketing driven, that really does affect and trying it out, trying out what fits for you. And at different points in your career, people might like different things too. So good to hone in on what you're great at and also explore a little bit too. And I can't believe it. We're already at our rapid fire questions. So I just want to ask you a few more questions. I think it will be so helpful for, for our listeners here. Who have been your strongest PMM mentors? My two strongest mentors were probably from my early days of PMM at Zendesk. And that would be the head of marketing at that time and the head of product at that time. So that's Amanda Kleha and Sam Boonin. I don't think I actually sought them out proactively as mentors, but I knew I wanted to get better on the go-to-market side. So Amanda helped me that push. And then I also wanted that product lens. And so Sam gave me that push. And so I got tips and, you know, ideas from two very different people. And I feel like that's actually what helps you grow the most. 
That's so helpful. And what about growing in your career overall, in addition to those mentors? What is one thing that's been the most important to you? I tend to not think about career growth as like, I got to get that next promotion or within a year, a certain time frame, whatever that may be, because I actually find that quite stressful. <laughs> I see career progression, not just as climbing the ladder and getting to that next promotion at a certain amount of time, but more so, am I working on interesting things? Like, am I interested and challenged by the problem space that I get to work on and by the product areas that I get to work on? Am I getting to learn and hear from new types of users? Am I enjoying helping to sell to certain customers? Am I doing new things? Am I doing old things, but in a new way? Because there isn't a playbook. And I always feel like that's really interesting and fun. And I tend to think about career progression, not just as, all right, I got to do all these things to get to that next level, but more so all of the things that I'm doing, is that fulfilling for me personally and professionally? That's such a great perspective. And Krithika talked about that a little bit too, in our first episode where she said, it's not about a ladder. It's about treating your career as a game and you're building all of these skill sets and building this foundation, which is seemingly how you approach it too. And it seems like you're looking at things from the excitement level and the passion level that really drives you every day. So that's such a refreshing and probably healthier way to look at it rather than I got to check that box. I got to climb that rung on the ladder. Life is too short. And I love Krithika's metaphor. It's a great metaphor. She, yeah, she was great at that. (laughs) And I know that you just to drill in a little specifically, you had a few raised eyebrows for your last career move. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm, I think definitely some folks are like, huh, you're going to move from this head of PMM role leading this big team to being the only person. And I definitely got a few questions about that. And making that transition was definitely challenging in some areas. Like it was definitely a bigger transition than I even expected. I had essentially like almost write tweets again at one point, but it's, It is really challenging in a good way though, because it got me to a place where I'm really thinking about and learning a new product, a new space. And then you get to be part of a company that's changing every single day. And you get to be part of that growth and learn new things along the way. And there isn't an existing playbook here. And and I love that because I feel like that's when creativity happens is you can bring your experience from whatever company you may have come from, but then apply it in a a totally different manner. And it's so fun to get your hands dirty, isn't it? When you've been managing or working at a higher level, I totally can relate to that. You just get this itch and think, I want to just create and build and really get into the work again. So I totally get why you wanted to do that. I love that. Let's talk about networking. I know you don't love it and you're actually (laughs) secretly really good at it, whether or not you think you are, but let's talk about the, how do you network, especially for the PMM world? Gosh, I am not a very good networker. I don't go to events and things like that typically, but I did do this thing uh, a couple years ago. I realized that I actually know quite a few badass PMM ladies who are actually in, in similar levels as me. And I was like, I should just email all of them and 
invite them over to my house to have wine and just chat. And, and that evening turned into now like a Slack group, a secret Slack group that we all have that you are even in. And so <laughs> my favorite, <laughs> like perhaps my way of networking, I do enjoy building community and bringing people together and hosting. And I don't know, in a way I think of networking, essentially my version of networking is probably that is building community versus promoting myself. (laughs) Well, that's great. Thank you for bringing that group together because it's been just really cool to share different experiences. And I feel like it's a very authentic way to connect with people because it was just started by having some wine at your house. So that is (laughs) such a great thing to do. We'll have to do a Zoom with those ladies soon again. (laughs) And so I guess the last question I have for you is why product marketing? Gosh, because it's the best, obviously. No, I like product marketing because it can be a bit amorphous in a good way in the sense that the role can change depending on the company, depending on the product, depending on the stage of company. And, and I find that really fun, no matter, you know, where you are in your career and every company you go to and every product you work on, every team you work with is going to be different. And so it's not going to be boring. And you're always thinking at the same time, doing and bringing things to life. So it's a good mix of things. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I do have one final question. How can people get in touch with you? You can reach me on Twitter at S-Y-Z-O-U. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It has been so fun to have you on this call today. Really appreciate the friendship over the years and the fact that you came onto this podcast and shared all of your amazing insights with everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Mary. It's been great to catch up. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. And that wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. For all of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash Mary and tell them that I sent you. They'll set you up with some free resources like the Guide to Competitive Intelligence. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I meet with Laura Jones, the global head of product marketing at Uber, where we discuss design thinking and making career moves while pregnant. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you next week.